If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you pray with me? Given what we're asking, Holy One, we'll get right to it. Grant us the courage to make the phone call, send the email, write the letter that we've been putting off, to offer the overdue apology, to take that one step, no matter how small, in the right direction. It's already later than we think. We pray in the name of Jesus who told us that if we ask, we will receive. So ready or not, we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. It seems to me that this story universally evokes one feeling, which is that it's never been a better time not to be a disciple. 
the demands on these dude bros. I mean, yes, they may have quit their jobs because the work was terrible and the pay was worse, but they didn't just drop their nets to follow Jesus. They also dropped their relationships, their family and their friends, basically all they had known to go traipsing around the Galilean countryside, learning things from a guy who spoke in parables and often taught using the Socratic method. This is a torture method they use in law school on broke and terrified law students. As someone who had to work very, very hard to be a very, very average law student, let me tell you it is awful. The Socratic method is often described as a form of cooperative argument dialogue based on asking and answering questions to stimulate critical thinking and draw out ideas and underlying presuppositions. I never felt like my professors were being cooperative. <laughs> I'd like to think that Jesus wasn't as intimidating or as cranky as some of my law professors were, but I feel sorry for the disciples all the same. I mean, Jesus was never just trying to make conversation, right? Like, he never asks a question just for funsies. It's always very serious. Even the one that starts this passage, which seems innocent enough, is, is kind of hard. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Unfortunately, the disciples, I guess, have been taking some... Uh, unscientific polls, because they do have immediate answers. Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Maybe he's done. No, Jesus does not drop it. That's not really what he wants the disciples to think about, not what the heart of the matter is, not what other people think. He wants to know what they think. Who do you say that I am? There are some in this room who could talk for quite some time about who they think Jesus is. Uh, although in my pastoral experience, the people who are excited to opine on this question spend the first 17 hours of their response explaining who Jesus isn't, uh, which is important, but not the question. Then there are also people who answer by regurgitating phrases from scripture from the Hebrew Bible, like wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And, and they do this regardless of whether or not how the author of the text meant it. Other titles come from the New Testament. They are also offered as an answer. Jesus is our savior, Lord, redeemer, king. And these answers are given as if the question itself is stupid. Who is Jesus? Of course we know who Jesus is. It's not like he's a character in a murder mystery. There's no guessing. There is certainty in our answers. And still others of us might respond to that question with, it's complicated. As if Jesus' identity is a relationship status. Those of us who might answer this way are usually recovering evangelicals, having spent a very long time singing praise and worship songs that treat Jesus as if he were our cosmic boyfriend. A relationship that we're still trying to sort out. If you do not know what I am talking about, actual worship song lyrics in this genre include, 
I want to touch you, I want to see your face, and I'm desperate for you, I'm lost without you. Think about how bizarre it is to sing lyrics that could also be sung to a significant other. So as to not re-traumatize myself and others, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> but in case someone needs to hear it this morning, Jesus is not your boyfriend. There are others in this room who would rather poke ourselves in the eye than give an answer to that question, who do you think that I am? You'll find a significant number of preachers in this category. After all, it's just going to start a fight. I mean, where two or three are gathered, there are five opinions. Let's just keep those to ourselves. We don't want to offend anyone in case they disagree. No one need to make brunch awkward. Although it's really not about awkward brunch, of course. It's rather that it's easier not to think about it, not to answer the question. Theological deconstruction is relatively painless, creating a list of things that we no longer believe. But theological reconstruction is hard, for learning is often uncomfortable. Discernment often troubles the waters. Best not to rock the boat. That is not, however, Peter's approach. Peter is one of those students who sits at the front of the classroom on purpose. We can imagine Jesus asking the question and Peter leaning forward with his hand and eyebrows raised, I know, I know, call on me. Peter proclaims loudly and confidently, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In the Gospel of Matthew, this is the best answer ever. Peter does not just get a pat on the head or a gold star. Jesus gives him the keys to the kingdom. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Jesus says he will build his church upon the rock of Peter's testimony. He gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. We usually reserve that for NBA stars. Peter doesn't even have to look athletic. But this is not the only version of this story in the Gospels. As theologian Debbie Thomas writes, we know from other Gospel accounts that when Jesus goes on to describe the suffering and humiliation his messiahship must include, Peter quickly backtracks, pulls Jesus aside, and tells him to shut up. Such morbid talk is not worthy of a real Messiah, Jesus. Peter's insistence that Jesus fit into his watered-down comprehension of divinity hits a nerve so raw, Jesus turns and rebukes Peter with words that still shock us 2,000 years later. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. We almost feel sorry for Peter. As strange and stinging as this exchange is, I like, I like what it teaches us about living the questions of faith. I like that Peter's confession, you are the Messiah, signals 
what is the beginning of his exploration of Jesus's identity, not its end. As soon as Peter thinks he has the answer to the question nailed down, Jesus shuts him up. Jesus challenges what Peter thinks he knows and nudges him back to the starting line. Yes, I am the Messiah, but no, you have no idea what that means. In fact, you're not even ready to know what Messiah means. You can barely tolerate me talking about it. There is so much more for you to learn, Peter. So many answers for you to grow into. So be patient. Don't force the locked doors. Try to love what is unsolved. Keep living the question. This this is what we're trying to do around here, beloveds. We are trying to live the question, Messiah may not mean what we think it means. We are trying to live the question, or rather we are trying to live all the questions, for this isn't the only thing Jesus ever asked the disciples to consider. Some of the other questions Jesus asked include what do you want me to do for you? Do you never read the scriptures? Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? How many loaves do you have? What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Why do you make trouble for this woman? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed rather than on a lampstand? Why does this generation seek a sign? What were you arguing about? Salt is good, but what if salt loses its saltiness? But when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on earth? Who is greater, the one seated at the table or the one who serves? What are you discussing as you walk along? Have you anything here to eat? Please note that this is not a comprehensive list, just some of the questions Jesus asked and that we are trying to answer. When the great flood of Christmas Eve 2022 gave us the chance to update the church's aesthetics we decided to display in the main hallway on a large printed graphic our purpose statement from the Mayflower Constitution and Bylaws. It says, it shall be the purpose of this church to seek the transcendent mystery we call God, to interpret and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ for our time, to respond to the work of the spirit, to model inclusiveness and unconditional love, and to seek peace through justice for all of creation. Nothing about that statement indicates that we are static, unchanging, a stationary bunch, or that we've got it all figured out. To be blunt, this makes some people nervous and sometimes angry. It is why on occasion we have been called heretics, although you should know that lately our status has been upgraded to apostates, I urge you to never read the comment section. 
It is where human decency goes to die. But of course, we consider heretic and apostate as names we want to aspire to be worthy of. For our highest hope is to be faithful, which is not the same as orthodox. This is not a place where, what, where we cling to what is comfortable or we hold on relentlessly to what we've inherited simply because it is familiar or safe or easy. This is why when we join new members, they do not become part of the body by claiming to believe particular creeds or dogma, but by promising to be in covenant, a mutual relationship of trust and responsibility named in the presence of God. We are together living the questions, not just of who Jesus is, but what the gospel demands of us, which direction the spirit is nudging us, who we are offering our widest welcome to, and what it is and what it means to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly, not in the year 33 or 1517 or 1957, but now in this time and place. In just a moment, we will sing our final hymn together, and then we will move into the fellowship hall to break bread together, to find out more about each other's passions and expertise and experience, all in the name of working to create a beloved community that practices extravagant welcome, gives generously to others the grace we have so generously received, and resists by the power of love those forces in the world that seek to separate, oppress, or deny freedom and dignity to all people. This is how the work begins, beloved community, at the table, trusting each other with our joys and concerns, and then doing what we can to mend the broken places in the world. And because around here we're not really sure if heaven comes after life on earth. At church, you have permission to hit the dessert table first. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.